So, Will. Yes? The reviews for this week's movie were so blatantly racist, it's honestly a little surprising for 1992. Yeah, it's a weird one where, like, the Wikipedia page really underplays it. Right. And I went digging around and I found some of the reviews. Because the Wikipedia page is just kind of like, reviews were mixed. In the years since then, some of the people involved have complained about racism in the reviews. And you dig and you find the reviews. Like, I sent you the Variety review. It was, and that one, it was bad. It's just like, this movie is set in a fantasy world where black people run businesses. Don't forget the part where it's called racist for not having white people involved. And especially, like, for not having white people in positions of power. Right. The white people are serving in menial roles, like the person working at the suit store. I mean, it is true, and it's a thing I noticed and made a note of just watching the movie, that genuinely, all the white people in this movie are, in the background, service workers or French. Yeah. The use of the French part was funny to me. Yes, I had to go back and edit my note. Because it made it, honestly, even more noticeable to have the only white people in a position of authority speak a foreign language. Which I thought was interesting and fine. You know, we have a zillion movies where that is true of just white people being in all the roles and people of color in service industries. It's perfectly reasonable to reverse it if you're going to do that. And a lot of the response from Reginald Hudlin and from Eddie Murphy is pointing out, like, if you think this is a fantasy world... You just aren't paying attention to all of the black people in the business world. Right. And Eddie Murphy actually published, I say this like I found it and you didn't text it to me, published a response in the LA Times in which he points out, you know, specifically examples of successful businesses and that in 1992, the top five, I believe, black owned enterprises were generating $2.1 billion at profit in 1992. Yeah, I have scheduled a tweet with that thing from Eddie Murphy that will come out sometime this week. I don't remember what day, but if you keep an eye on our Twitter feed, you can read that or just search for the Eddie Murphy LA Times editorial. I think it's really good, and I think he approaches it very well, especially as a producer of the movie, where he's saying, like, my issue is not with critics not liking the movie. My issue is with the tenor of the discourse around Boomerang, which is disconnected from reality in a way that is racist. Right, because there are, which we might get into, I think some valid critiques of this movie. Sure. I mean, the main one being the blatant and disgusting transphobia within the first, like, five minutes of the movie starting, which did not lead me to be charitable towards it. It really leads with that, which is a shame, because it's not even like that's a pattern through the movie. No, it's just right off the bat, so I did watch it with a pretty critical eye as a result. But then I you know, read this and it's like, oh, so your criticism is just racism, not the parts of the movie that are open for valid criticism. Yeah, it's it's pretty shocking to read those reviews. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I'm sure Will will tweet them out. But, you know, <laughs> after digging in deeply already onto that topic, I did want to ask you, what is your favorite on a more fun or on a more lighthearted note, maybe, scandal from a recent film criticism. I mean, I feel like the number one answer, like, if we're talking about critics causing a stir, there's one obvious answer. Yeah. I mean... And it's from 2018. It's 
the most blatant. Shout out to the most recent one. The first, I feel, truly TikTok-based scandal that leaked out to other platforms, which was the Lena Wilson criticism debacle of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Which basically boiled down to, like, her review saying something about how the movie really highlighted Amanda Stenberg's boobs. Right. But then Amanda Stenberg sent a DM that was like, maybe if you just weren't watching my boobs, you would have liked the movie more. And then Lena Wilson, daughter of an editor of the New York Times who works at the New York Times, said something like about the power differential and how this was abusive because of how much more power Amanda Stenberg has. I found it difficult to follow this because I was following it from Twitter, and I'm just learning from you that it was mostly on TikTok. I could never figure out where it was coming from. But what I will say is I saw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies after this all went down and did not feel like Amanda Stenberg's boobs were prominent at all in the movie. That is the um, vast majority of people's response to this article, from my understanding as well. Yeah. Um, I do think it's notable that this is an issue of someone being too horny. And <laughs> it, the best critic scandal of the, la- of like the entire time we've been doing this podcast is an issue of Anthony Lane in The New Yorker being way oh too horny. Oh my god. This, this moment broke me. I don't think I've fully recovered from reading this article. I think it's worth keeping in mind, Incredibles 2 was a Father's Day weekend release. So this article is running in The New Yorker, like, on Father's Day. <sighs> that makes it so much worse. So, Anthony Lane was not really a fan of Incredibles 2, which is a dumb opinion, because that movie's great. I saw it twice that day. Uh, my favorite piece of right-wing propaganda, The Incredibles. The Incredibles is more complicated than that. Yes, it is, but also, it's still pretty out there. I think we've had this debate on the show before. Yeah, I just think with Brad Bird, like, it's more personal. Like, I don't think it's, like, a system. It's more of, like... Why won't you let me make an animated movie? I trained with the old Disney guys. Now let me make a movie. There is a lot of personal hurt in it as well. Yeah. But Anthony Lane was having other personal feelings. And <laughs> I just I just have to read this. So this is from like halfway through his review. It goes, take your seat at an any early evening screening of Incredibles 2 in the coming days. Listen carefully and you may just hear a shifty sound as of parents squirming awkwardly beside their enraptured offspring. And why, kids? Because Mommy just leaned over to Daddy and whispered, Is it just me? Or does Mrs. Incredible kind of look like Anastasia in Fifty Shades of Grey? You know, the girl in the red room with the whips and all? And Daddy just rested his cooling soda firmly in his lap, and like Mr. Incredible tried very hard to think of algebra. As for how Daddy will react later on, during the scene in which Helen and the husky-voiced Evelyn unwind and simply talk, woman to woman, I hate to think, but watch out for flying popcorn. Uh, uh, it's so much worse than I remember. <laughs> it's so much worse. I had forgotten worse. about the Fifty Shades of Grey part. I forgot about the Fifty Shades of Grey part. I mostly remembered the watch out for flying popcorn as dads are jacking it to Mrs. Incredible having a normal conversation with another woman. Yeah, I did also forget that the context of the scene where dads are going to be jerking off is two women having a conversation. It's so degrading. 
and misogynistic. And like, it's I'll even agree. So funny. I'll even agree that this collection of pixels is attractive in that movie. Yeah, but I mean, what the heck? This is incredible. Is shapely, but my god, sir, have some decency. It's, it's so out of control. And, like, the detail of the description is really the thing. They're, like, putting the drink in his lap, presumably, to, like, cool down his dick. I don't believe in this concept, but in this one case, think of the children. It's the one that makes you ask questions of, like, okay, so clearly, Anthony Lane, watching this movie, you thought she looked like Dakota Johnson in Fifty Shades. Did you put your drink in your lap? I don't want to know. I feel like, Mark, next week is our Hocus Pocus episode, and I feel like we've got me just asking a lot more questions about people's sex lives than I feel like asking. Sometimes media forces us to ask the questions no one wants an answer to. Anyway, Anthony Lane, if you want to come on and explain yourself, email us at lovedlovepod at gmail.com. I don't think I could sit through that conversation. I do not think I have the professional decorum to handle myself. We would not be doing an episode on Incredibles 2. It would be an episode on that review. Yeah, it would be an hour-long discussion. But also, I think I would piss him off so much so fast that he would leave. Well, it's just, he would have to agree that if we ever told him he was getting too horny, he would bonk himself on the nose. He needs to have his own horny spray bottle that he uses. All right, so... I'm glad we relived that review. I can't believe how much worse it is than I remembered. <laughs> and I... Well, Mommy leans over to I, Daddy and says... <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like all I would want... I want to, like, burn through all of my savings just on Cameo, getting different <laughs> actors to read that paragraph. Um, I'm so glad that you have someone to help... Can I get Sean Connery to read this review? He's dead. Can I get <laughs> oh, James no. Earl Jones to read this review? Can I get if James Earl Kristen Shaw to read cameo, this review? Something was terrible in any of the Star Wars contracts he signed. Well, you know, actually, James Earl Jones was super in debt when he was cast in the original Star Wars, and they offered to give him a percentage or like basically like chump change, and he was so in debt that he needed the money, and he took like nothing for that voiceover in the original Star Wars, and he could have owned a piece of Star Wars. Ugh. He's got to kick himself every day for that. I understand I mean, I think he's why. turned out okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. I'm glad you have someone that can help you control those financial urges now as a married man. I'm just saying, what if we had Kristen Shaw reading that paragraph? I may or may not be willing to go halfsies on a Kristen Shaw cameo reading that paragraph. Um, let's just Google that right now. I've never been on... Uh, cameo but my wife got me one at one point of a <laughs> survivor guy Kristen Shaw appears not to be on cameo good for her I, i'm not that surprised honestly nathan lane also not on cameo we will f- workshop a good cameo that's not too exp- i know brian cox is on cameo uh, javier bardem also a no but another guy i'd love to hear do that paragraph uh anyway we will workshop this figure it out get back to you is Matt Barry on Cameo? I mean... <laughs> it's loading. No, not football's Matthew Barry. No, I feel like the I feel like the British have too much self-respect. Or at least he does. We could get Nandor. Kevin Novak is on Cameo. I mean, that would also not be terrible. Currently unavailable. 
Oh, well, that's unfortunate. But that just means he has enough money and then eventually will come back when he needs (laughs) more money. Malcolm McDowell? Oh, that's not a terrible idea. Oh my god, this is such a terrible waste of time, Will. Let's get this episode started. We We gotta explore this more. Okay. Anyway, though, for now, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay, and I'm terrible with money. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger, and Ernie Hudson is on Cameo. I... Would it be funnier to get a woman to do it? I mean, I think yes. Uh, I just passed Greg Sestero. Mostly getting men. Don't know why. Anyway, this is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are any of these people actually dateable? Or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are taking a look at sort of an unusual fixture in Eddie Murphy's career, the 1992 romantic comedy Boomerang, directed by Reginald Hudlin. Sorry, real quick. Cheryl Lee Ralph. $400. Oh, that's too much. I know. (laughs) But Angela from the rehearsal, $130. Okay. Apologies. We're both just still scrolling through (laughs) Cameo, right? (sighs) Okay. Yes. Um, Yeah, so I think that one of the big things we want to keep in mind as we talk about Boomerang, and I guess we'll circle back in a second and talk about like how we felt about this movie that we both just watched, is that this was a, a, a very deliberate effort on Eddie Murphy's part to branch out in his career, where he's one of the breakout stars of the 1980s for Paramount, where this is produced. You know, he's doing uh, Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours and Coming to America, which we talked about last year. Or was it two years ago? <laughs> I think it was two oh years ago God. now. Oh, my God. But then after directing Harlem Nights, which makes money but is critically panned, and that's like such an Eddie Murphy project where he writes it, he directs it, he produces it, he stars in it, that then he's kind of on his back foot, at least critically. He makes another 48 hours the next year. And this is like his first original movie since then. And the clear goal that you hear everybody involved talk about is like, they wanted to do a different kind of Eddie Murphy movie where he has an arc and he gets to be funny, but he's not just like an agent of chaos. So I think it'll be interesting for us to consider this movie as sort of like a what if for Eddie Murphy. Like if this movie had been better received, does that mean we have a different Eddie Murphy than the one you and I grew up with? It's an interesting what if, because I'm not, I don't really know. I think Eddie Murphy would probably still be willing to do, maybe not Norbit, but The Nutty Professor, certainly. Certainly. And I mean, that's written by the same people as this movie. Right. So I don't think it's too dramatically different of an Eddie Murphy timeline. But does it become something where like, you know, we talked about on our Dream Girls episode what a big deal it was for Eddie Murphy to be doing that kind of role in 2006. Is it less of an outlier? Is it sort of a, like, a chaos Eddie and a more normal Eddie back and forth? Yeah, I can see that happening. Because he is Because when people reject this movie, part of it, they're like, what is Eddie Murphy doing in this kind of movie? They're basically telling him, like, go back where you belong. Yeah, he probably just made so much money off of movies like Daddy Daycare. Oh, absolutely. Like, how do you turn it down? And then, and, and Shrek movies. Well, there's always, as tepid as I am towards Shrek, Eddie Murphy is a very large part of the success of Shrek that it has. Oh, he's a huge part of it. And I think the world would be a radically different place if Eddie Murphy didn't do Shrek. I think yes, that's, I think that's, I think that's the shift in the timeline. Okay. I think that's interesting. I mean, the other, like, shift in the timeline is Chris Farley doesn't die, and 
he voices Shrek, not with a Scottish accent. Does Shrek hit as hard? I don't think so. I think the Scottishness is a weirdly integral part of the character Shrek. It's the weird thing of like, it is crazy that Mike Myers had recorded all of his dialogue in a Mike Myers voice, and they had mostly animated the movie. And then with like barely any time left, he said, you know what? I think the character should be Scottish. Re-recorded all the dialogue and forced them to crudely reanimate his mouth because that should have made the movie a disaster. But it, it does feel like he was right. I think he was right. I'm just picturing Shrek with an American accent and it doesn't work because it's even better when every other character except for the fairy godmother and I guess the king and queen too have American accents, not even British accents. Yeah. What a weird thing. They keep threatening to do another Shrek. They will always threaten to do another Shrek until Eddie Murphy or uh, Mike Myers dies. I I don't see Cameron Diaz coming back for another Shrek, though. It's hard to... uh, Here's the one thing. On the one hand, it's hard to imagine her coming out of basic retirement to do another Shrek movie. On the other hand, like, she can probably record it from home, right? Yeah, I guess. so much money. If there's any movie that could bring her out of retirement at the same time, it might also be Shrek. I mean, she did... They did announce this summer that she was going to be in, like, a a Jamie Foxx Netflix movie. Oh, yeah, I think she is soft-launching a return. Yeah, looks like it's called Back in Action, and plot details are kept under wraps, so I don't know what it's about. This is from the the Variety piece about it. So Cameron Diaz may be coming back to a Netflix near you next year as Jamie Foxx works on becoming a Netflix star following the success, I don't know, of Day Shift? Hmm. I mean, honestly, I hope Cameron Diaz has a successful comeback. Yeah, she's a fun star. So, circling back, where are you on Boomerang? I feel like you kind of alluded to this earlier. I didn't love it, but not for the reasons that I can't picture black people being successful. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that's out of the way. More for the reasons that I do think the approach to gender politics in it is not the most sensitive. Obviously, the transphobia really turned me off, and it was kind of long. It dragged for me. There were moments that just felt slow also i never really connected to his relationship with angela i felt that kind of sprung in too fast for a movie that often felt too slow i agree that i think the weaknesses of this movie are in how it's edited together in terms of how it distributes its time i think i like the movie a good bit more than you do Mm -hmm. that first sequence is a pretty rough when they are just throwing around homophobia and transphobia in a way that is typical of 90s comedies, but is nonetheless unpleasant. Yeah. I do want to shout out Grace Jones's incredible performance in this movie. Grace Jones and Eartha Kitt together. <laughs> that I... Uh, it's worth watching this movie for the Eartha Kitt performance alone. I felt like the first half of the movie, because the relationship between Marcus and Jacqueline takes up about the first hour of the movie. and. I thought that had its moments. It is certainly one of the, like, hotter romantic comedies, in part because, like, Eddie Murphy's a good-looking dude, and Robin Gibbons is hot. Yes. And then Halle Berry is also hot. Right. That's the, like, Halle Berry is the girl next door in this one. Right. <laughs> Miss Ohio herself, Halle Berry. Oh my god, I'd forgotten she was Miss Ohio. But I thought that stuff with Jacqueline was fun for a bit, but the, like role reversal of like 
The woman wants to watch basketball and have casual sex and not make anything too serious, and he wants to be in a relationship. I didn't think that was as novel as it felt like the movie did. Like, they're talking about sex, but it's the I Love Lucy game. It's not really a new concept. I did think it was interesting and, like, had some unique juice to it when Marcus and Jacqueline had already called things off, and you have this sort of triangle between three people none of whom are really, like, dating each other. I thought that was interesting. But by that point, the movie's over an hour in, and it's rushing to get all of its beats through. I really think they could have shortened the amount of time with the focus on just him and Jacqueline. Right, it winds up being a misdirect because they want you to think the movie's all about that, and actually it's about this other relationship. Just, like, he hasn't been paying attention to anything but Jacqueline. But it ultimately doesn't serve that relationship with Angela especially well. No, because I didn't feel that much satisfaction at the end when they were together. And it also, the fact that the whole, like, their relationship from falling apart, getting back together, learning the lesson, blah, blah, blah. That's like the last 20 minutes of a two-hour movie. Yeah. I even like the part where they are sort of drifting together, where they're just, like, spending more time together, but it's not a relationship it's the relationship stuff that goes way too quickly. They move in after like one date. And <laughs> I this couldn't movie figure also, that out. This movie does not have a good sense of time. Yeah, I didn't realize that they had moved in together until he had sex with Jacqueline again and is like coming back home and sneaking into bed with Angela. And I'm like, why is Angela at his house? Like, <laughs> he's not there. And then when they get back together, one of the last lines of the movie, she's like, I'm not moving into your house this time. And it's like, you moved in? Yeah, I the I have no idea what the timeline of all of these relationships is. I could not tell you how long this movie takes place over the course of. It takes place over the course of developing an ad campaign, but I guess I don't know how long that lasts. Picture Perfect told me it would be pretty quick because they could get Jay Moore in for like a week and do the whole thing. Yes, I the relationship of the company to Stranger alone is fascinating. I think they've just hired her as a spokesperson, right? Yeah, but why is she in all the meetings? Why does she seems to have final creative say? I don't think she has final creative say because, like, for example, I don't think they changed the formula of the perfume. I think she gets a say, but it's kind of like having Eartha Kit in. Like, we'll listen to you, but we're going to do what we want. Yeah. Ugh. Her entrance in this movie is so good. Eartha Kitts or Stranger? I mean both, but Stranger lowered in a box by a helicopter. Great opens. Sexy white men in leather pulling her in a chariot as she is decked out and whipping them. And everyone applauds. No one's like, this seems like an extravagant use of funds for our cosmetics company. Yeah, but it's the 90s. It's the age of, like, the big business deal and the merger. Like, this is very much set in the business world of its time. Yeah, it is funny, because that's my first thought is, like, they hired a helicopter for this. Yeah, it's the extravagance of post-Cold War, pre-9-11 capitalist success. You know, they almost did not have the helicopter because this movie didn't have a huge budget, and Reginald Hudlin had only directed, like, one small movie, and... He tells a story about how one time they were walking through Stranger's entrance and he said like he had two versions, but they'd landed on one. And Eddie Murphy's like, why'd you do the one? And Hudlin goes, because we don't have a helicopter. And Eddie Murphy just pulled out his phone, called Paramount, 
talked for like two minutes, hung up, and said, now you have a helicopter. Put the two together. And so the chariot thing was the separate plan from her just being lowered in the helicopter. That's iconic. Now I get it. That, that actually fully makes sense. Yeah. There was also a sequence that they shot of Strange going through an airport wearing a, like, chainmail dress that set off the metal detector. And so when the metal detector went off, she just tore the chainmail dress off and walked through naked. That makes sense. And they shot that, and a little bit of it appears in the final version of the ad that they put together. Oh, the nipple scene. Yeah. That makes sense. Because that's, like, one of the few things you don't see on screen at all. Well, that's why. Yes. <sighs> Eartha Kitt's entrance. Also great. Eartha Kitt plays Lady Eloise, who is the founder of the cosmetics company that buys Eddie Murphy's company. And she is now a figurehead, but doesn't seem to realize it. She, like, hangs around the office a bunch and also decides, like, to seduce Eddie Murphy. By saying she will promote him to head the whole marketing department. Yes, and he does have sex with her for that, but it doesn't matter because she has no power. Do we ever see Jacqueline produce any marketing? No, she's in charge. She tells other people to do it. Yeah, she seems extremely middle manager to me. I got the sense that she was good, but it might have just been her confidence. Yeah, that's what I'm realizing. It's like, she was so confident she must be good at the job, and then I'd be like, wait, we never see her produce anything. She just sits and nods during presentations. I was struck by how quickly Angela rose, because maybe I had it wrong, but I thought she was like an assistant when she arrived in the movie, and then she's a creative director at another company by the end. I think she's an artist, like a drawer at the beginning, but she's just treated like an assistant because she's a woman in the 90s. Right. And all women are expected to get coffee. Yeah, she makes a, a very big jump, so good for her. Because she pairs him up with Angela like at that event with Strange. She's basically like, oh, Angela's one of my best drawers. Oh, that's true. But yeah, and then the next scene, she's like taking notes and pouring coffee. So maybe the movie decided to shift her job. Could be like ADR or something. Yeah. <laughs> like She's an artist. They control F'd, but didn't control F enough. You know, speaking of changes, I mentioned the helicopter, but also, apparently, originally at the end of the movie, like, Marcus didn't make a choice, like, just, like, Jacqueline decided, like, no, you shouldn't be with me, and, like, Angela decided to be with him. Like, he was apparently a very passive character, and it was, like, during shooting that they changed it so he made the decision to leave and to go to Angela. And it's wild to think that they would get so deep into making the movie with such a, like, passive character. Yeah. I don't love Marcus. I think that's fine. I I think one of the strengths of the movie is the extent to which it is willing to be like, Marcus is charming because Eddie Murphy is charming, but he is often wrong. Yeah, that's a good way of phrasing it. And I think part of how that strength is manifested in the movie is through his friendship with Martin Lawrence and David Alan Greer. Mm -hmm. Because... Pretty consistently, the movie can go back to the three of them talking about, like, what's going on in their lives. And it's not as trite as, you know, Maid of Honor, where (laughs) Patrick Dempsey gets all of his basketball bros to talk about his love life and to help him plan a bridal shower. They come together, a fine movie, nailed the parody of that scene. Hey, come on, are you guys kidding me? The point of love is to get laid, if you catch my meaning. And I'm talking about sexual intercacks. Two points! Swish! 
do not listen to Mr. Chronically Single, Always Dating Some New Hot Chick Guy. Being married is great. That's the point of view I represent. Deb and I have been married for eight years, and it's better now than when we first met. Swish! Oh, okay. Mr. has to go home early because he can't hang out with the boys because he's got to spend time with his wife, Guy. Yeah, that's right. You get it now. Mr. combines traits that each of us represents, and all you need to do is put it all together, and you'll be just fine, Guy. You know what? You guys make a lot of sense. I'm gonna go propose. Swish! Hey, wait. Thanks, guys. That scene in They Came Together is great. But I think that what works about the three friends in this movie is that they are all pretty flawed, but they all also, like, are right about some things. As obnoxious and frustrating as Martin Lawrence is, he is right that there are a lot of racist people around, and some of them are reviewing this movie. Right. And, you know, they all have shortcomings in the areas where the others might have strengths. And so what that means is, like, unlike a lot of these movies with, like, the best friend characters, it does feel like these relationships matter to the characters. It's not just someone to, like, bounce exposition off of. Right. And they also feel more well-rounded as people. Like, they are characters. They're not just there. Yeah. You know, I was reading that, like, at one point in editing, they considered ending the movie with the three guys, like, hugging on the roof when the Empire State Building lights are, like, going in the background. Which feels crazy, because this movie is a romantic comedy, and it feels like you should end it on the romantic plotline. But I wonder if there isn't another worthwhile movie in this that is more about the friendship between these guys, a sort of, like, urban professional mystic pizza. You know, not a terrible idea. It could just be called New York Ads. I think more movies about male friendships need to be made. Yeah. I mean, what movies do we have that are based on true friendships? Green Book? Tag? (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) We've just got Jeremy Renner's CGI arms flopping around here in defense of male friendship. Is that a tag reference? Jeremy Renner broke both of his arms jumping out a window shooting tag, and so he has CGI arms for most of that movie. Oh my god. I saw tag in theaters the same summer I saw Incredibles 2. Did you have to put that cold drink on your lap, Will? (laughs) Look, anytime I saw those arms flopping around. Oh my god. Uh, Speaking of David Allen Greer's character, shout out to fashion icon David Allen Greer's dad in this movie. (laughs) I don't like mushrooms that much, but the matching shirt, suit jacket, lining, and belt, great look. And that's just him and Eddie Murphy riffing. Like, none of that's in the script. It's all about coordination. Uh, That couple, the couple who plays Gerard's parents had also been a couple in House Party, which was Reginald Hudlin's first movie. And they're really fun. They are great at just, like, beating down David Allen Greer. I did write down while watching it, I was like, you know, if this movie had been made five years later, Eddie Murphy would have played at least one of those parents. If not both. Right, probably both. Leading more towards both. But, you know, I mean, like we say over and over again when we cover black movies of the 90s, just an absolutely stacked cast. They always are. Yeah, and so you've got Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence the summer before... Martin premiered on NBC. You've got David Allen Greer, who's on In Living Color at this point. You've got Halle Berry right as she's exploding. This is the year after her film debut. You have, like, Chris Rock just, like, popping in every once in a while. You have Tisha Campbell as the neighbor. 
It's just everybody. And you got Eartha Kitt. The neighbor is funny. <laughs> the signs that's like, girl, get out. Those are the things that really sing for me. This movie I appreciate most in the parts that relate less to the plot. <laughs> like his parents, the neighbor, Eartha Kitt, Stranger. I mean, can we talk about that Stranger ad? Because that's this is not really related to the romance. But No, it's not. Like, so Eddie Murphy is a marketing guy for a cosmetics company, and they're merging with another company that was founded by Eartha Kitt, and they have this new partnership with Stranger, who's going to be the face of their new perfume, and at the point when Eddie Murphy and Robin Givens have split up, they're no longer having sex, he just says, screw it, and lets, like, gritting pervert Jeffrey Holder make whatever ad he wants. Jeffrey Holder, another guy in this movie. And the ad he makes, it's like, it begins with a beautiful woman from the rear getting out of a pool of water. Circle around, zoom up, her face is a skull. It's bleeding. Explosion. Now she's a beautiful woman again in this giant hoop skirt made of bones. And now the woman is giving birth, shaking her hips in the giant hoop skirt around. And she gives birth to the perfume. Incredible. I don't know why they didn't go with that. <laughs> it's amazing. Ridley Scott couldn't have done better. I would buy that perfume. Yeah, I'd forgotten we were introduced to Jeffrey Holder with his, like, lipstick ad that shows the woman, like, weaving her tongue between a pair of cherries. Oh, right. I don't really know why they keep him around, honestly. They shoot down, like, every idea. Well, I mean, like, with the lipstick one, Eddie Murphy is like, these are the three shots I need you to cut. He mentions the cherries one. Where it's like, he's got a strong visual sensibility. He just needs to be bonked because he's too horny. Yeah, that's fair enough. I would have aired the the birth ad over the one of just different parts of Grace Jones' performance cut together that says Stranger at the end. Yeah, I'm just struggling to think, like, who would let you air this (laughs) deeply upsetting ad? That is very funny. Adult Swim. In 1992. Yeah, I mean, probably. Anyway, we've, we've been circling around this movie. As I mentioned, it's written by Barry Blaustein and David Sheffield, who we've talked about before because they wrote Coming to America. They were SNL writers when Eddie Murphy was on the show. They go on to also write The Nutty Professor and Nutty Professor, colon, The Clumps. I think an interesting thing in this movie is noting that they are only credited with screenplay and Eddie Murphy has the story credit. Like, like I said at the top, this was very much an effort on his part to do a different kind of movie, to building on Harlem Nights, but also kind of getting away from it to try to expand what an Eddie Murphy movie could be. And they hire Reginald Hudlin off of House Party, and his whole idea is like, all right, when you have black characters in movies, they're either hip or they're like smart and urbane. And is it possible to make a movie with a guy who is both? Like he's cool, he knows about pop culture and cool music and stuff like that, but he is also like a successful business dude. And sophisticated. Right. I think they successfully married the two. Yeah, I do too. Like I said, I am generally positive on this movie. I think it's like pretty good and I just like, I wish it were great. It would be easy not to have Martin Lawrence's casual transphobia at the beginning. And I think it would be better if it were focused more on its second half than its first. But even that first half, there's like so much weird stuff in it, especially with Stranger, that I that I did enjoy. Right. I think... I did enjoy a lot of this movie, but it's not one I would want to watch again. But 
did have the potential. I agree that it had the potential to be great. Yeah. And it's just interesting, sort of the legacy of this movie over time, where it does get like reviews that are mixed at best, but it makes a lot of money. It makes $70 million in North America. It makes another $60 million overseas. So, like, it's unquestionably a financial success. And then it's a movie that had a long life on cable, especially on BET, and is, like, broadly well-liked now. They had a 25th anniversary screening at the National Museum of African American History and Culture a few years ago. And it was adapted into a TV show on BET in 2019. Oh, my God. That doesn't really surprise me. I do think that there should have been more movies made in its vein after its premiere. And, like, we do get other movies that are interested in, like, the romantic lives of black adults in the years after this. You think about something like how Stella got her groove back or Waiting to Exhale. But, frankly, there's nothing quite as funny as this. No. And even with, like, the first one that came into my mind is Hitch. I was going to say, the best man is maybe the thing that's closest to this. Yeah. But, like, in Hitch, he's the only black character. You don't have as many that are just, like, all, like, all black characters. Because even in Hitch, his, you know, the people he's helping are all white. And the love interest is, um, who is it? Oh, my God. Eva Mendez? Eva Mendez, yes. Yeah, I feel like the best man is the closest thing. Like, the other trend in the 90s of black movies is, like, John Singleton. Like, the the Hood movies and whatever Spike Lee is up to in any given year. Mm-hmm. And, look, there's probably stuff that we don't know about. Because I admitted last week, I found out that Boomerang existed this year. So, if there are movies we're missing in this vein, please tell us on Twitter and we will watch them. Yes, I definitely think that is possible. As far as the reception of the movie goes, Boomerang was most recognized by the MTV Movie Awards. That tracks. Where they didn't get any wins, but they got nominations in four categories. For Breakthrough Performance for Halle Berry, who lost to Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny. Which, like, Marissa Tomei gets the Oscar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Best Comedic Performance, Eddie Murphy loses to Robin Williams in Aladdin. It is a more comedic performance, as in, like, more comedy to do. More comedy per minute. Than maybe any performance since Groucho Marx. Yes. They lose Best Movie Song to I Will Always Love You from The Bodyguard. Again, that's a tough category. Hard to argue. And look, not a category we like, but I think, again, a clear winner. Halle Berry loses Most Desirable Female to Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. A tough year. A tough year at the MTV Movie Awards. Yeah. Also, I I think that's a little weird. I know Halle Berry's the gal at the end. I just think Robin Givens is so hot in this movie. I know. I don't really understand why. I would have assumed they would have both been nominated. Yeah. So the other nominees for Most Desirable Female are Kim Basinger in Cool World, Madonna in Body of Evidence, and Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. Ugh. Tough category. Yeah. I think Michelle Pfeiffer would have had it for me. Yeah, it probably is Pfeiffer, like, by, like, an edge over Sharon Stone. Yeah, the whip. Most desirable male this year, Christian Slater wins for Untamed Heart. Okay. We're running through the men of the 90s right now. It's Christian Slater, then Kevin Costner for The Bodyguard, Tom Cruise for A Few Good Men, Mel Gibson for Lethal Weapon 3. Ew. And Jean-Claude Van Damme for Nowhere to Run. It's so funny because it's like, of those, maybe Tom Cruise would still be considered hot with today's it's not a list standards. Of, it's not a list of Mark boys. It is not a list of Mark boys. Those are not my guys. Yeah. 
All right, well, we should we still have a ways to go, so we should probably talk about the romance of Boomerang. Oh my goodness, yes indeed. <laughs> All right, so every week we break down the romantic plotline into five points. Will, will you take us to point number one? All right, so at the beginning of the movie, we have Marcus, played by Eddie Murphy, just as, like, a real playboy. I know you hear me, you slimy, sleazy, sneaky, slithering son of a bitch! You want to keep it down? Get ready to have some company, okay? <laughs> so who's the victim tonight? Hey, Vaughn, I don't feel like playing with you, okay? Stop. Why don't you just tell her the truth? Tell her you're going to use her, then you're going to dump her like you did me. Excuse me. Excuse me. I did not dump you. We went out. It was whack, and it was your fault, and I wish... Look, why don't you get over it and go find another man, huh? Get out of here. I hope you catch a disease and your dick falls off. He is constantly... Flirting with women, picking up women, lying about having been left at the altar. Well, I guess he wasn't left at the altar. He claims that he found his fiance having a threesome with the best man and the priest. It's got to rein it in for believability. Look, it worked. The best man? I know it worked, but the best man? Believable. The best man and the priest? You're going too far, Eddie. It's a little, it's a little too much sauce on the sandwich. Oh, don't forget the lying about having a missing dog. Right, yes. That woman that he tells the story about his failed wedding to, he meets up with her because he sees her walking a dog and buys a leash off someone so that he could be looking for his lost dog and start talking to her and get her number. Okay, but those people are irresponsible dog owners because that dog did not look big enough to carry home without a leash. No, it's a, it's a bad move. Leash your dogs. The big thing we know about Marcus at this point is that he has sex with lots of women, like his neighbor, Tisha Campbell. And then it, it's a love him and leave him situation. Uh, as he puts it at one point, it's not that he doesn't believe in romance. He says, quote, I am Mr. Romance. But then once I hit it, I lose interest. Is that my fault? Uh, it's mostly the woman's feet's fault. Yes, because he's got to make sure the woman he ends up with is perfect. And the thing he fixates on is, are her feet gross? So, for example, he has sex with the woman with the dog and then when it's over, he, like, gently pulls up the covers, and he sees that she's got all these corns on her feet. And that's a deal-breaker, ladies. Oh, my goodness. That actually, by the way, is... The foot thing is based on a joke that, like, I think it's Reginald Hudland and his friends would tell about, like, a guy who's so picky, he insists on checking women's back teeth. Ew. And I thought for the movie, were they bad. were like, what could be Marcus's back teeth thing? The feet, I, like, kind of get. Also in this window, he has sex with Lady Eloise to try to get a good job. Yes. But this does bring us to point number two. When Jacqueline arrives. Yes, Jacqueline shows up about 20 minutes in. I just want to take a moment to note that in the scene where Marcus is meeting Jacqueline, Eartha Kitt walks into the room. It's the day after she and Marcus had sex. And Eartha Kitt just, like, wraps her fingers around his head. Like, her fingers are, like, curled, like, like claws almost. And just hisses... I don't have any panties on. She's great. She's awesome in this movie. I mean, she is just being Eartha Kit, and it's all yeah. you need. Yeah, she's great. It is very funny to picture Yzma saying, I don't have any panties on, because she is doing the Yzma voice in that moment. She is. But also, in the year of Batman Returns, it's nice to see the original Catwoman show us what's what. Do you ever think about how good her performance as Yzma is? It's great. More than we deserved. So in point number two, the merger between the companies is happening, and Marcus meets Jacqueline, who he learns will be his boss. And he correctly assesses that she's a hottie. Yes. I mean, there's no denying. 
And at the party where Strange arrives via chariot, via helicopter, Marcus is trying to flirt with her. And she insists that she doesn't date men she works with, so they can't date. What's up? You are absolutely wonderful. But I, I think that we should kind of make this clear right from the start so there's no misunderstanding. You see, I don't date men I work with. Well, then I quit. You can't quit because I need you. But she does do this, like, extremely strange thing where she blows an eyelash out of his, like, eyeball? It is kind of strange. But she informs him that when she seduces him, if she decides to seduce him, he'll know. And he, like, keeps trying to engineer, like, datey situations. Like, he invites her for a dinner meeting because he's like, yeah, you know, like, it's not a date. If we were two guys, we could meet over dinner. But they just, like, have dinner and then she decides she wants to watch the Knicks game and get a beer. And this is where I think the movie is at its clumsiest because it's just like, what if the lady acted like a man? Yeah, it's, it just, it's playing too much into that without adding anything new. Like, oh, this woman is acting like a man. How transgressive. And he won't like it because he's used to being the, the playboy, but now he wants a relationship and this lady won't commit. Yeah. It was funny after they have sex in New Orleans and he like goes back to her office when they when they're back in New York and he's like trying to make out and she's like no we're not going to like make out like talk to my assistant if you want to schedule another hookup. Yeah, and then he gets one for 3 weeks from then. Look, it's when the calendar was open. I felt bad for him. Yeah, because it's a bummer and then she stands him up and repays him for the tickets he had bought in the grossest way. I mean, again, it's painful to watch but it's also not it by doing a direct transposition of gross things men do without altering it to the social context of how women are expected to behave in somewhat doing the full 100 percent role reversal that's where it loses me right yeah and that's that's what i was saying too where like this is the part of the movie that I'm like, this is a little tired. Like, we're not bringing that much new to the table just by being like, what if the lady were a playboy? Yeah, like, leaving the money on the nightstand, it's a, you know, such a gimmick in a way. Yeah. But she breaks things off with him because he clearly is just, like, too into it romantically and she doesn't have time for that. And his work is slipping. He's allowed Jeffrey Holder's insane bone dress gives birth to a perfume bottle to get made. I like that these ads all feel like they could have been made by Jeffrey Holder's James Bond character when he plays, like, a skeleton man. I love seeing 90s ads in this context. Yeah, but, like, think about this ad, like, if this is on the air, and then the mustard comes out with, it's great to be number two. Oh my god. I just also like, at the end, the use of the 90s, like, font. Yes, where it goes strange and like different colors with patterns on on the letters. Yeah, almost like the Rugrats opening. I was going to say Zoom. Wow. Okay, so I think this kind of gets us to point three. Yeah, so by point three, Marcus and Jacqueline have split. And at this point, you would think the movie is somehow about Jacqueline learning that like, actually, it's nice to be with Marcus. And maybe she shouldn't be such a like playboy man's man woman. Like, that's the traditional beat. 
of this kind of movie. And that's where I think it gets a little more interesting. Because instead what's happening is Marcus is drifting more and more towards Angela, the Halle Berry character. And they're just like spending time together, having a nice time. She like takes him to the art class she teaches so that he can get out of his funk. They like make Thanksgiving dinner together for all of his friends. Like that's a situation that I think is a more interesting dynamic than what the movie had been invested in romantically before. Star Trek is coming on. I love Star Trek. Do you really? Yeah, I'm a Trekkie. Get out of here. I'm a Trekkie. Look, at Cap- <laughs> ain't Captain Kirk the coolest white man on the planet? Thank you. You know, you can always tell who's going to get killed when you watch this show. Like, look, who, look who's beaming down. You see Kirk, McCoy, Spock, and Yeoman Johnson. Now, doesn't Yeoman Johnson know he's going to get killed? If I was Yeoman Johnson, I'd say, hey, I'm not going. I know what's going to happen. And, you know, the scene of them doing dishes together and then lying on the couch because they're tired is classic rom-com and sweet. Yeah, and in the process, Eddie Murphy exactly anticipates the plot of the novel Red Shirts, which is a book about the crew on a Star Trek-style ship that desperately tries to avoid getting assigned to surface missions because the top crew always manages to survive. Have you watched Lower Decks yet? No, No, because you don't have Paramount+. Plus. I do have Paramount Plus, I just have not watched Lower Decks. I use Paramount Plus to watch Survivor and MTV's Next. I think you would enjoy Lower Decks. Yeah, I know I would. I just gotta do it. But basically, the movie then cuts to him and Angela living together. Yes, they just are living together, which I took at the time to be like, they are in a relationship. They're having sex. Sometimes they stay with each other until, like, he has to sneak into her bed. (laughs) It's a lot. It's very weird. They're in a relationship. Point number four. Being with Angela has given him his mojo back. He's happy, but also he's taken. And all of that makes Jacqueline interested again. Right. And he basically immediately succumbs. Yeah, immediately. He also, like, when Jacqueline calls him at home one time, Angela answers the phone. And then Marcus is like, oh, yeah, that's Angela. She just stopped by. And Angela is reasonably upset about this. Yeah. He's, ugh. He's kind of, he's gross again in this part. Yeah. And he goes, he has sex with Jacqueline. He, like, sneaks back into bed. It's very weird. (laughs) You cannot tell how much time has passed. He gets busted. They have a big fight. Angela's like, no, if you actually loved me, like, you wouldn't have done this. And she leaves. There's certain things you just have no control over, right? Really? Like what? Like love. Love? You know, what do you know about love? What do you possibly think you know about love? You know, I'm sick and tired of men using love like it's some kind of disease you just catch. Love should have brought your ass home last night. Didn't you just hear me say I was sorry? I heard you say you're sorry. You're sorry and you're tired. You don't love me. You don't love Jacqueline. You only love your damn self. How could you say I never cared about you? You know, Jacqueline says that I'm a better person now and I know I owe that all to you. I'm out of here. And meanwhile, Jacqueline is like, great. Like, why do you got to be with Angela when you can have sex with me? Right. But this brings us to point five, essentially. Yeah, they're going to have sex again. And Marcus decides, you know what? I'm not going to have sex with you, Jacqueline. I'm in love with Angela. Like 10 minutes after saying he was in love with Jacqueline. The ending of this movie is rushed. (laughs) Yes. He only convinces Angela to get back with him in the last, like, four minutes of the movie. And, like, I don't dislike a movie that knows when its story is over and gets out, but this movie is trying to do a lot of story in very short time. 
Yeah, so I did like when he becomes a teacher again. That's sweet. But then, you know, uses the children to his advantage almost immediately. Well, you know, you do what you gotta do. And she announces that she's not moving into his house this time, which seems like a good call. Last time she seems to have moved in after an hour? Yeah, it's not great. And then that's the end of the movie. So, Will. Yeah, credits roll over them getting back together. And that's when I learned David Allen Greer was billed above Martin Lawrence. (laughs) That tracks for the time. Yeah, it's just, it's a thing that would change in two months. Exactly. (laughs) Um, All right, so do you find the romance believable? I mean, I think the biggest problem is just that the timeline with Angela is so hazy. Like, I do generally like the arc of the romance. I wish the movie distributed its time differently. But the Angela timing feels off. It just, the timing doesn't make sense. And the the fight and get back together is too rushed. It's like they're just powering through it. I mean, I can almost get with the fight where it's like, I mean, effectively, it's not a true breakup in that sense. It's a relationship where they have a fight and he convinces her that they should work through it rather than calling it quits. Like, that I'm I'm more okay with than just, like, how quickly they are in a full relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, So on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate this? I would maybe go, like, a 6. I, I feel good about that. All right. All right, cool. Um, Do you think that Marcus or Jacqueline or Angela is dateable? Angela, my biggest beef with Angela is the way she handles her relationship with Marcus. But part of that is I just don't understand it. Exactly. But I think outside of that, yes. Marcus, no. Jacqueline, no. So, you know what? As we're saying this, I think I would agree with you that Angela is the most desirable option, to use the MTV language. But... Marcus and Jacqueline are are a no. Although Jacqueline does seem like she might be fun to hang out with. She might be a fun friend. She might be good yeah. if you're actually willing to just have a casual fling. Yeah. But not if she's your boss. That's also inappropriate. Yeah, not, a, not as a boss. That's a bad idea. She was right about that. And it's weird that she blames Marcus for she's like, oh, I knew dating someone at work would be a bad idea. It's like, you were the boss, lady. <laughs> this is on you. Exactly. Uh, do you think Marcus and Angela will stay together? I don't know, man. I don't think so. I don't understand their relationship totally. I don't think so. They seem too up and down. I I have no idea how long they've been together, and I think that matters. Yeah. Mark, you have a bevy of excellent black actors in this movie. Whom would you date? I mean, I think I'm going to go with Gerard's father. (laughs) (laughs) A great answer. Who is... You just want to wear that mushroom shirt. Well, I wish I liked mushroom more. Any other food... And I'm on board. I'm, like, neutral on mushrooms, but I would wear the outfit. The suit is good, and a fun patterned shirt, fun patterned lining, fun patterned belt, great. I just wish it was a better food. Like, what would, what would work for you more? Hmm. Like, cauliflower? What are we talking about? Ew, no. Um, <laughs> I actually have recently entered a detente with cauliflower. I think that a bread product... Of some kind. Like a, like a baguette. Like a brioche. Okay. Um, I don't want to date Chris Rock's character, but I do want to know everything about the world that he's occupying at work. What a great character. Um, Just there. I think I would date Angela. I think she's the best option. Although there is that question mark of like, how soon is she going to try to move in? <laughs> Maybe she's just like in a terrible apartment for all we know. 
Yeah, I just feel like she makes a lot of money. Well, she definitely does by the end of the movie. Right. All right, Mark, last question. Yes. Should the 1992 film Boomerang be adapted into a stage musical? I think it could work, but I think it would need some work. Yeah? I think that a rom-com musical about these characters could be done, but I think it would need some restructuring, refocusing, and re-evaluating the priorities. I think that's all fair. I do think you would want to keep some of the sound of this movie. It's got this great, like, R&B soundtrack. Yeah. Which we should note went triple platinum. Oh my god, really? Yeah. That's the thing. This movie found its audience. Yeah, it really did. So, I mean, that is good. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. I actually have one additional last question for you, Mark. Yes. Why is this movie called Boomerang? I mean, he does bounce around like a boomerang. Yes. (laughs) I think it's pretty weak. It is, indeed. All right. Well, I think that about does it for this movie. I am glad we have seen it. Yeah, I have zero regrets about watching it, for sure. Yeah. Next week, we will be starting our month of of spooky child danger. (laughs) A surprise theme we discovered in the process of recording the episodes. But... As some of you likely know, this weekend, Hocus Pocus 2 is releasing on Disney+. Plus. So on Monday, we will be here talking about the romance of the original Hocus Pocus, everyone's favorite movie about teenage virginity. Mm, Not everyone's seen only once yet. (laughs) Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. Okay, Will. Actually, last question this time around. What's third time's the charm. Third time's the charm. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Boomerang? You know, I think the most important dating advice, which is explicitly given in this movie as dating advice, is don't date your boss. Don't date your boss. Very good advice. My advice? Don't move in together too soon. It's just going to put stress on the situation. It's just going to be way too much. Yeah. There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about. Bye. 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 Yeah.